Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first nations who have lived on the continent we now call Australia for up to 75,000 years. In 2017, Indigenous people from all over Australia met at Uluru for a special meeting and wrote the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It's a call for all Australians to embrace our First Nations people and finally listen to their call to be heard and for their human rights to be respected. Thomas Mayer is a Torres Strait Islander man who carried the statement to First Nations communities around Australia. Now he's written a book for children about this journey. It's called Finding Our Heart. Producer Cinnamon Nippard spoke to him about the statement, how it came into being and what it would mean for the statement to be enshrined in our constitution. Today we're recording in Sydney on Gadigal land, but you're from the top of Australia. Can you tell me a bit about your people and the land you grew up on? Yeah, I kind of come from two places. My um, my roots go to the Torres Strait, so I'm a Torres Strait Islander. And uh, I was born on Larrakia land, which is where Darwin is. And you're wearing a, a pendant. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, the pendant is what we call a dari. So if you look at the Torres Strait Islander flag... Uh, in the middle is the white um, symbol of the dari, which is a headdress that we wear when we do island dancing. Yeah, and so it um, symbolises our culture. And then in the middle of the um, dari and the flag is a star, and it has five points for the five First Nations that make up the Torres Strait. Can you tell me about those First Nations in the Torres Strait? Yeah, my ancestry is um, both Karareg and um, Badulaik and also from Arab up in the Eastern Islands. And how important is your connection to country and culture? Well, it's, um, it's what I grew up with. Um, I grew up living my culture, um, hunting our traditional foods and cooking it in the traditional way, doing island dance as a young man and um, as, a, as a boy. And uh, it's something that connects me to... Uh, you know, to to something that's very close to my heart. And, uh, you know, it, it's really uh, an identity um, and something to be proud of. And in, the, in regards to how, what the book is about, it's about changing how we are recognised as um, Torres Strait Islanders, as, as a First Nation. So for people who might not have heard of it before, what is the Uluru Statement from the Heart? The Uluru Statement is a culmination of a, a long history of struggle. It goes from colonisation or the invasion of these lands through surviving genocide and forced assimilation to many aspirational moments where similar statements and petitions have been made, such as the Akala Bark petitions, um, the Larrakia petition to the Queen in 1972, the Baranga Statement in 1988, and all sorts of lessons were learnt from all of those things that we've tried. And one of them was that the politicians and the king or a queen will always ignore what we call for. And so the Uluru Statement calls for um, the Australian people to accept the invitation to, to give us some self-determination through a voice to parliament. And how did you get involved? 
I was an activist on the streets. Uh, I'm a union official for the Maritime Union of Australia, a wolfie for 16 years before I was elected. And uh, as, a, as an activist on the streets, I was invited to participate in a constitutional dialogue in Darwin, which was one of 13 dialogues that happened covering the entire continent and adjacent islands. And in each of those dialogues, the people elected representatives to go to a final meeting in the heart of the nation at Uluru. And uh, that is where we synthesized everything that we'd discussed and prioritized and then um, made it into the Uluru Statement from the heart. And that's where it came from. And I understand that you traveled right across this country talking with people in different communities. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so the Uluru Statement called for voice, treaty, truth, a constitutionally enshrined voice and treaty and truth through a Makarata Commission. And Makarata is a Yolnu word for basically dispute resolution, the coming together after a struggle. And the government almost immediately dismissed it. And we had expected that, as I said, as all other prime ministers and kings and queens have done. And so I had the task of taking the canvas, the beautiful Uluru Statement canvas with this really um, compelling and uh, hugely symbolic artwork. Uh, and the, the statement itself, the canvas is 1.6 by 1.8 metres. And I rolled it up in a, in a taped together postal tube and I took it to, uh, to many places around the country and just started to build a people's movement. Because we know it's it's only the people that are going to help us achieve this. The government um, will need to be convinced by us. And can you tell me uh, about a couple of the communities that you went to? Yeah, the very first place I took the Uluru Statement to uh, was the Gurindji people, which is uh, Gurindji people. They have a couple of communities on their land, uh, Kalkarindji and um, Dagaragu. And it was the Gurindji people that walked off Wave Hill Station in 1966 because they were treated like slaves. They were only paid in rations, so just enough to sustain their labour, you know, to keep them alive to work. Um, so, so slaves. And they walked off Wave Hill Station and fought for, firstly, for equal pay. Um, but then it became a struggle for land rights. And there's a really uh, significant moment in this nation's history when a rare visionary prime minister named Gough Whitlam flew to Gurindji country in 1975 and poured a handful of sand into the Gurindji people's leader's um, hand, Vincent Lingyari, for the first time handing land back to Aboriginal people. And so I took it to those very special people first and the elders, um, you know, endorsed the Uluru Statement and said that they would be a, a very important part of this struggle, and they have been. And then I took it to the Pilbara. Um, there's a place called Yule River um, where there's still, it's been a meeting place for many thousands of years, and the, the First Nations of the Pilbara still gather there annually. And so I took it there, and again, you know, wonderful endorsement, um, repeating what had happened at um, Dagaragu and what had happened at Uluru, and we built the people's movement from there. And now, um, how do you feel it's going now, two and a half, three years on, and what kind of support has there been from non-Indigenous people in Australia? There's been huge support for this campaign. 
Um, we need to keep in mind that the government dismissed the Uluru Statement almost immediately in October 2017. It was official. The Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, dismissed the call for a voice. But we didn't take no for an answer. And we've moved the government to a position where they are looking at this. There's a, a very important part of our campaign coming up where we need to gather the voices and amplify them and grow them even more to say that we must constitutionally enshrine a voice. And so it's a key part of the campaign at the moment um, and in the next 12 months. And so I hope that people will help us to move the government further, to take us to a referendum to enshrine the voice. And what kind of a difference do you think it would make to Australia's First Nations people if it was enshrined in the constitution? We would be empowered like we've never been empowered before. We'd be empowered like we should have been right at the beginning of the Federation of Australia. The Constitution is an extremely powerful document. It's the highest laws of the land. I describe it to children when I'm going around the place that it's simply a rule book of the nation. And if you remember Section 44 of the Constitution and how politicians were losing their jobs because they had a grandfather from Britain, they had dual citizenship, for example, that's how powerful it is. And so by enshrining our voices in the Constitution, it really ensures we're heard. And the other thing is, as difficult as a referendum is to win, when we do win, it's a mandate of the Australian people that it's heard. It's not a mere act of Parliament. So, you know, there's great power in that. And what will change, we will be able to affect the decisions that are made about us. We'll be able to have um, forward-thinking campaigns rather than reacting to bad decisions. And this is a really important thing in advocacy. We've had many iterations of a voice before, but every one of them has been destroyed by a hostile government. The most recent ones are the Congress of First People and ATSIC, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. And in the absence of that type of voice, our advocacy is incoherent as well. Something I understand as a union official, you need to have structure to practice unity. And so many things can change once we establish that voice. And so you're not just an activist, you're also an author and a dad. But how did you come to write a children's book about the Uluru Statement from the Heart? Well, I noticed how my own children on Larrakia land as Torres Strait Islander kids love coming home and telling us parents about what they learnt about Larrakia seasons or language or culture. And they just, they're just they so proud of Indigenous culture and, and that long history. I see also, once when I had the Uluru Statement out in public, in Brisbane it was, at a football game, and this young boy, he might have been about eight years old, was walking by with his family, an non-Indigenous boy and family, and pulled up his family and dragged them over to the Uluru Statement and said, that is the Uluru Statement from the heart. This was early in the campaign. Still, yeah. a lot of Australians hadn't heard of it. And he taught his family what it was because some teacher somewhere had taken the time to teach kids without waiting for it to be in the curriculum. And so I notice how children teach us, uh, you know, about these things. And it's a, it's a very, I think it's an important tool in the campaign. You know, it's important for kids to learn about it so they can move us. 
And you've written it in a really accessible and understandable way for kids and their families, and Black Douglas has created some wonderful illustrations. What do you hope that people will take away from reading it? I think, I, I hope that they take away the motivation to do more. And that's why right at the back of the book is that section that says what you can do. Um, I didn't just want to tell a story. I wanted to do something that would move people. Um, as I said, through their children, you know, through the children of this world that, you see, children also, this is another motivation or, or inspiration. Children imagine the world as it should be. And it's up to us to make the world what they think it is, you know. And, and children imagine that Australia is a place that has healed this dark past. They imagine that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are already included. And so I hope that the book moves people to, to join the campaign. And lastly, as a, as a father yourself, what's your hope for the future of your kids? I hope that we have already built a platform for them to step up onto and so that they're able to use their voice to improve all of the things that we need to do in this country. You know, we should be ashamed that the most incarcerated people on the planet proportionately are still First Nations people in this country that in the Northern Territory, most of the time, it's 100% of the youth that are in youth detention are Indigenous children. That we have a life expectancy gap of around eight years still. You know, these are things that we should be ashamed of and we should um, be motivated to build that platform for our children to step up to and change those things. Thank you so much for your time today, Thomas. Thank you. That was Thomas Mayer, Torres Strait Islander man, dad, activist, and author of the children's book, Finding Our Heart. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time. Thank you.